excellent, excellent message. If you were not, yeah, good job, Will. No surprise, no surprise. Excellent stuff. If you missed it, it was really good. I encourage you to check out the podcast or to go to our Facebook page and, and you can watch the entire service uh, there as well. So um, it's good to be home. Uh, Heidi and I were on vacation uh, last week. Uh, full disclosure, I, I have this crazy pain going on from a neck injury that I've been dealing with for a few weeks, seeing specialists for and, and uh, getting prayer for as well. Um, Heidi took really good care of me, but it slowed us down a little bit. But besides that little piece there, uh, we had a great vacation. Um, what we did was we borrowed a teardrop. Have you seen those teardrop campers that you can pull behind a vehicle? Just a little thing. It was wonderful. We borrowed that from a pastor friend. And, uh, I mean, this says something about the amazingness of my wife. We spent nine days camping. We were on the road, right? Road trip. Um, so way to go, Heidi. Yes. We drove up to the Yellowstone, we went to the Tetons, and we stopped at Zion on the way back. It was just a beautiful time of exploring God's creation. It was very inspiring, but it's good to be home and be with you all today. And today we are starting a new sermon series that we are calling Following Jesus Together. Following Jesus Together. And today I want to look at what it means to follow Jesus and I want to give you a little idea of why, when I use that phrase frequently, I tag that together word onto it. Uh, and as we mentioned earlier, our small groups launch is uh, this week. How many of you have signed up already for a small group? Raise your hand. Wave at us here. So yeah, all right, about half of us here, about half of us here. And the rest of you, today is your day. You can sign up today. We've got groups in all different areas of the valley, uh, in the East Valley anyway, um, all different times of the week. And so there is likely to be one at a location near you or at a time that you are available. And these groups, as we've talked about, they'll start this week and they just go until about mid-November. We'll take a break for the holidays and then we'll start another season of small groups back up in January. So encourage you to try it out. Uh, you can sign up today. And again, first service people here, uh, after we're done a little early, here's open, um, you'll have a chance to mingle and have some snacks and food out in the lobby. So uh, check, out, check out our small groups, meet some of our leaders, look for the folks wearing lanyards, and uh, you can ask questions of them and Pastor Jim. Hey, let me pray as we get rolling here. Father, for um, your spirit to come, to be present, to be strong, to empower the words uh, this morning of the teaching, um, I ask that you, that you would be strongly present, that, that in whatever I say that needs to stick would stick, and anything else would simply fall off. Um, but most of all, I pray for the presence of your Holy Spirit, because without the Holy Spirit present here, uh, anything that really happens is is not worth much at all. So Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. In his book entitled, How Do I Know If I'm Really Saved?, John Ortberg shared a story about two students from a Christian college that were going door-to-door sharing their faith. Kind of reminds me of some of my earlier high school and college days. And one of the doors that was opened um, by a harried young mother carrying an infant in one arm and operating a vacuum with the other. And as the, right, why would you open the door? Anyway, um, 
as they looked in the door, the students, these college students, could hear another child crying in the background and see a toddler scribbling on the wall with a crayon and a pot boiling over on the stove and a pile of dirty laundry in the corner. And one of them asked her, Ma'am, are you interested in eternal life? Utterly frazzled, the mother heaved an exasperated sigh and replied, Frankly, I don't think I could stand it. (laughs) John Orberg comments on that story and says, I think this is how many people today think about the idea of salvation or being saved, that, that when we die, we're either headed for the castle, we're headed for heaven, or we're headed for the abyss, for hell, and that this idea of salvation is knowing the right answers so that When we get to heaven at the pearly gates, God has to ask the question, we give the right answer, and boom, we cross the bridge, we get to go to heaven when we die. And you know, that idea of of becoming a Christian, that kind of way of thinking that many people have, um, I I kind of think of it as, um, it's just about praying a prayer. I just pray the prayer so I get to go to heaven when I die. Um, That idea, at best, is a truncated version of the actual gospel. And the word gospel, by the way, means good news, right? The good news of Jesus. It's a truncated version of the gospel. In fact, it's not at all the gospel that Jesus preached. It's not the gospel that we find in the scriptures. In his book, The Divine Conspiracy, Dallas Willard wrote about this same idea and used the the image of barcode Christians. He, He described a popular brand of Christianity, that it's all about just making a decision for Christ. Uh, That's what some people believe. That's all you got to do. That's the end. That's the beginning and the end. That's it. And if you just make that decision, if you pray the sinner's prayer, then instantly you will get a barcode slapped on you that guarantees that you're a Christian in good standing, guaranteed a spot in heaven. But there's no expectation that you'll have any sort of personal growth or formation or transformation. There's no expectation of actually following Jesus or becoming a disciple. Um, Summing up that kind of school of thought, somebody there might say, hey, listen, well, you got the barcode. So when you get to the pearly gates, they scan you, and you are in. And in that view of, I guess we call it Christianity, it doesn't matter if you're actually a follower of Jesus. It wouldn't matter if the rest of your life looked Nothing with the life of a follower of Jesus looked like. Nothing like the life of someone who had a relationship with Jesus. And to them, they would say, well, you know, it just doesn't matter because, you know, you have the barcode, you're in. And again, that's what Willard would call uh, barcode faith. And see, I have to tell you, in the way that was a younger Christian, I was taught to do evangelism, especially as a teenager, The point was to try to get people to pray a prayer so that they would go to heaven when they died. And we would go out and do, you know, out of good hearts, street witnessing, street evangelism, all kinds of stuff like that, just to try to get people to pray the prayer, Um, which I actually realized that idea of getting somebody to pray a prayer so they go to heaven when they die is not actually in the Bible. It's not just found anywhere in the Bible. The sinner's prayer, it's not in Scripture. And that realization got me thinking more deeply about what it means to be a Christian and, and, and to become a Christian. 
Now, by the way, like I just said, you know, there is. There is no sinner's prayer, quote-unquote, in the Bible. But before any of you get really worried that I just said that, hear me. Um, I do believe that praying the prayer is a good thing, right? Pray the prayer, it's, it's a good thing. Because in Scripture, we do learn about the importance of confessing our sins, uh, of repenting of our sins, of choosing a different direction where we make Jesus the Lord of our life, which is why I do think it's important that we here at Hope, um, from time to time and when the Spirit prompts, why, why we do make sure that we invite people to pray and make a decision to begin following Jesus. So, you know, that salvation prayer, what some people would call, you know, the sinner's prayer or what I like to call an invitation to decide to follow Jesus, a prayer like that can be very important when we see it as a starting point. And we just have to make it clear that it's a starting point, and the starting point is about living a new life, a life of following Jesus. That's what the starting point is when we pray a prayer and make that decision. See, because if we don't move from just praying the prayer to actually becoming disciples, if we don't actually start following Jesus, then then, then labels like Christian or evangelical or even born again or like our denomination, covenant, covenanters, those labels are useless and actually can become kind of destructive if we're not actually following Jesus but wearing those labels. And over the years, I've had many interesting conversations that revolved around a question that relates to both of these ideas that I told the stories earlier here as we started from from John Ortberg and Dallas Willard, things that circle around that. And the question is, is it possible, is it possible to be a Christian and not a disciple? And I want to pose that question to you this morning, and I'm not going to ask you to respond or raise your hands or say anything out loud, but I just want you to think about that question for a moment, because we're going to look at it through this message. Is it possible to be a Christian, but not be a disciple? And to get to that question, in a minute, we'll get to what it means to be a disciple. But first, before we go to what that means, I want to look at the mission that Jesus gave to every church. You've heard me say something along these lines uh, probably just about every week for the past year or so, that the marching orders that Jesus gave to every Christian, every church, to love God, to love others, to follow Jesus together. And, and when I say that, we, you know, we follow Jesus together, that comes from Jesus' instructions to go and make disciples. Disciples are followers of Jesus. Uh, but where do we get that idea from? Where does that come from? Well, in case you haven't seen it or been here when I've talked about it, there are two passages of Scripture where those statements that we repeat almost every week, uh, where they come from. First, you can turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, verse, starting at verse 20, or sorry, 36. Matthew 22. Verse 36, it'll be on the screen. Jesus was asked, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself which I think we can sum up in just this phrase, love God, love others. 
Love God and love others. Oftentimes, this is called the great commandment, to love God, to love others, and that was Jesus' call. It is Jesus' call. It's the first part of the mission that he gave to every church, to every Christian, to every follower, and every believer, to love God, to love others. And friends, everything else falls into place when we make that the direction uh, that kind of love, where, where we allow the teachings of Jesus and Scripture to form and direct us to love God, to love others, this is the first and the greatest commandment. And then just a few chapters later in Matthew 28, Jesus gives us the other part, the charge to make disciples. Verse 19, this is often called the Great Commission. Jesus said to his disciples and to us, therefore go Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, here's the reassurance, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now notice in this passage here, does Jesus say, go out and make Christians? He he doesn't, actually, if you look at the text, right? In fact, that word doesn't, and we'll talk about this in a minute, doesn't come out, out in, until years after Jesus ascends to heaven. Um, no, Jesus called us here to make disciples. And so what are disciples? And I'll unpack that in just a minute, but a simple answer before we get to unpacking it is the disciples, the disciples are followers of Jesus, and that's why we say we follow Jesus together. Now, what does this have to do with that question that I posed earlier? Is it possible to be a Christian and not be a disciple? And I think that Jesus answers that question and more with these words that he speaks in verses 19 and 20 in what we call the Great Commission. And this is how I would summarize this part of what uh, the main idea of what he's communicating in this passage. He's saying the church is called to be disciples who make disciples. In other words, to follow Jesus together. So you put together the great commandment and the great commission, and that is the mission of Hope Covenant Church, to love God, to love others, and to follow Jesus together. Everything that we do here at Hope is to point us toward that mission of learning to love God, to love others, and to follow Jesus together. And whatever else we might be doing as a church Doing those three things have to be the core. They are a must of what our focus has to be. And that's where we focus our primary attention and energy as a church family. And in these upcoming weeks that we're coming uh, to in this series, our messages are going to focus on what it means to follow Jesus together. And then what we're going to do, you know, you'll hear the messages, but we're going to flesh it out in our small groups during the week. So we come together and we discuss and we read the scriptures and we learn what it means to call each other deep, deeper into following Jesus together. And again, we have to do it by the way we have to do it together. We need each other. The late Billy Graham, probably the best known evangelist in the modern era. He quite possibly led more people in praying that um, sinner's prayer than anyone, at least in modern history. But he had a concern about that. There were all these decisions, all these prayers that were being prayed. He was wondering, is it, is it making disciples, though? Right? After people prayed the prayer, are they then following Jesus? 
even 50 years ago, near the, imp- the peak of his ministry impact, he was concerned about this. So in 1969, Billy Graham called together church leaders from all denominations and, and all walks of Christian faith to talk about the nature of evangelism and then discipleship. It was a problem he was deeply concerned about. And he said this, when I give the invitation to, to follow Jesus, he said, they come by the hundreds And by the thousands, right, they would pray the prayer. But afterwards, when he would tell these new believers, you must now follow Christ to the church, many people would turn away at that point. And there were a couple things that were behind his concerns. One, he knew that that, that any decision or any prayer to follow Jesus whatever prayer they prayed or whatever level of sincerity in the moment, he knew it wouldn't stick if they didn't see it as a first step into becoming followers of Jesus. Uh, And he knew that if that's the case, their faith would never really take root. And secondly, he also knew that unless people found a church family that helped them follow Jesus, they could never really become disciples. So his Ministry, especially after that time, spent an extraordinary amount of time working with local churches when they were coming in to do these, these massive uh, services and stadiums and, and appeals. Um, they would have a team that would go ahead of time and work with all the churches that would work with them to, to figure out ways to kind of close that gap. See, because he knew you can't do it alone. And church, we are a family we have to do this together. It's a, it's a huge part of following Jesus. No one stands alone. We need to lean on each other as we learn to be disciples of Jesus because we follow Jesus together. It's a family deal. Uh, Paul Tournier says it this way. There are two things that we cannot do alone. One is to be married, right? Yes, is that true? think so. Some of you aren't sure. It's true, right? One is to be married, and the other, here we go. Next slide. And the other is to be a Christian. <laughs> right? There are two things you can't do alone, he says. One is to be married, and the other is to be a Christian. And I think that he is absolutely correct about this. We cannot be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, on our own. Because we are the body of Christ, and we need one another. And for the last third of this message here, I just want us to focus on this idea that Jesus gave in the Great Commission about disciples. And for us to understand that teaching about becoming disciples and making disciples, wouldn't you think it's probably important for us to understand the meaning of the word disciple? So... Here we go. Um, in ancient times, this word disciple, uh, this actually comes from classical Greek. Uh, disciple simply meant a learner or a pupil. But in the Jewish culture of Jesus' day, it meant much more than that. See, there were, there were these great teachers in Judaism. They were known as rabbis. And these rabbis had devoted their entire lives to learning and studying and living out what it meant to be a a good Jew, to live according to the Holy Scriptures and, and, and to live out what we Christians call today, oftentimes we call it the Old Testament. That's what they were committed to living out. And these great rabbis were respected as as masters who were pursued by students. And these students that pursued them aspired to be like that rabbi. And so they wanted to become students known as disciples of the rabbi. 
Now, a disciple was someone who devoted their life to learn so thoroughly from their teacher, from their rabbi, that they would eventually come to look like, to resemble their rabbi. See, it wasn't just about learning information, learning the details, learning the facts. They wanted to learn how to actually live this stuff out. Now, Jesus captured this idea in Matthew chapter 10, where in verse 24, he says, the student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. See, that's how it worked, right? The rabbi was the teacher or the master of the, the material of the life. And the student was a disciple who wanted to become like their rabbi. And if you've read through the New Testament at all, you've noticed that Jesus was often called rabbi, rabbi, and that his followers were called to become his disciples. That was very common in that day, rabbis and disciples. And so the invitation of Jesus to you and me is the same today as it was to them. We are invited to follow Jesus, to become his disciples. So then, What is a disciple? What is a disciple? I thought this was a pretty good definition of a disciple of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is someone who follows Jesus and learns from Jesus to live like Jesus. See, to take on his way of doing life and trusting the way he teaches. And that when he teaches us the way to live in his kingdom, in his way, we can trust what he says, even if it seems backwards to how our normal thinking is, we trust what he teaches us and we seek to then work it out in practical ways, not in a legalistic thing, but to apply this in practical ways of living. Like, like if, 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 if Jesus was living in your skin, um, let's make this real practical. Jesus was living in your skin would he be seeking revenge against an ex-spouse? Would every unkind and irritating statement and action by your ex-spouse demand that you return the same in kind? How about this idea, this example? How would Jesus respond to hurts from a boss or a coworker or even another church member? Would he return it tit for tat? Would he say an eye for an eye? That's the way I taught you to live. Like, get on social media and just blast all the people that you are mad at. Would he? The answer, by the way, is no. (laughs) No, just in case you're confused. No, that's not the way of a follower of Jesus. See, to live and to be a Christian means for you and I to follow in the way of Jesus, to live as Jesus would live if he was in our skin. And see, the early Christians, the early disciples, they understood from Jesus, they weren't supposed to only imitate Jesus' ethics, you know, in other words, you know, like his, his honesty or his words or his kindness to imitate his servanthood, to imitate his forgiveness or his generosity. They knew just that they weren't supposed to just do that, but, 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 but early Christians, early disciples knew that they were also supposed to do what Jesus did. As disciples, they were to continue his ministry in this world, and they were to do it together. 
that was part of being a disciple. And to do that, it takes community. It takes the body of Christ. It takes the family of God for us to really follow Jesus because we need one another. That's why we follow Jesus together. So hopefully, at this point, um, we have a pretty good idea, at least an elementary kind of sketch of what it means to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus. So with that in mind, let's go back to our question. So is it possible to be a Christian and not be a disciple? And if the answer to that question was yes, then it would mean essentially there's two classes of Christians. There's regular Christians, I guess, and there's disciples, or back to our opening ideas, there's barcode Christians on the one hand and disciples on the other. But I just can't find those distinctions anywhere in the Bible. In fact, did you know that, that the term Christian is only found three times in the entire New Testament? Three times. And actually, history suggests that the word Christian actually originated, it was coined by non-Christians, and it was supposed to be a derogatory way to refer to those who were disciples that were followers of Jesus. The name Christians was supposed to be an insult that meant little Christ, but Christians actually took it on as a compliment, right? Which is good, right? That's right. (laughs) So Christian, though, Christian is only found three times in the entire New Testament. On the other hand, the term disciple appears over 260 times in the New Testament. Disciple, 260 times in the New Testament. And it is the word that Jesus most often uses to describe those who are following him, learning from him so that they can live like him, which is why I think it's so significant that Jesus didn't say in the Great Commission to go out and make Christians. He didn't say to go out and make converts. He didn't say to go get people to pray a prayer. He didn't say to make church members. All those are good things, but that's not what he called us to. Jesus told his disciples to make what? Disciples, right? Help people find and follow Jesus, that was his point. Now, like most churches in modern day here at Hope, we have a mission statement that's intended to communicate why we exist, that we are here to love God, to love others, to follow Jesus together. In fact, let's read that out loud together. Ready? Here we go. We're here to love God, love others, and follow Jesus together. See, this focus that we have is based on the mission that Jesus gave to his disciples in these two passages that we looked at today. And by the way, the reason that, you know, I wanted to make sure that we avoided anything confusing or used a religious term that people might not understand today, like make disciples, if folks aren't from a church background. Um, So that's where the the term follow Jesus together came from, just to hopefully make it a little more user-friendly and clear to folks. But I hope that when you look at this mission statement, what you'll see is that those words express exactly what we've been talking about in the message today. Hope family, we are here to help people to know Jesus, to follow Jesus, to to learn from Jesus, to live like Jesus in a way that's reflected in how we live our lives and conduct ourselves. And for us to do that together, 
we are on this journey ourselves. So you don't become a full, you know, rabbi yourself or, or a, um, a fully formed disciple, and then now you can start making disciples. No, 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 we're on this journey of discipleship together. We are each growing as followers of Jesus all along the journey, all along the path. None of us has arrived, but we don't have to get to some completed place before we invite others to become disciples and follow Jesus along with us. So we're both in the mix, in the process, learning to follow Jesus, growing as a disciple, and we are inviting others. We are making disciples, inviting them to follow Jesus as well. And as you've heard us say several times over the last month, if you've been with us, um, okay, then what's the practical way that we can grow as disciples? What's a practical way that we can grow as followers of Jesus together here at Hope? And, and so much study and so much research indica- indicates that transformation, that life change, that discipleship, spiritual growth happens best in the context of small groups. Now, Making it a priority to gather and be here Sunday morning, I think is amazing. I think it's really important. We wanna be here, we wanna gather, we wanna worship together, we wanna listen to whatever God is saying through the word. We wanna make this important, make it a priority. But if we wanna go deeper into what we are learning from scripture, if we wanna apply and work out what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, That's why we gather in small groups during the week. That's why we're putting the energy we are putting into becoming a church of small groups. That's our goal. That's what we're moving towards, becoming a church of small groups where we follow Jesus together. So I want to encourage you to do that, to to make a commitment to go deeper as a disciple, uh, to someone who's committed to following Jesus together with others from the Hope family by becoming a part of a small group. Let me close with this. We started earlier with that question. Is it possible to be a Christian and not be a disciple? And my hope is this morning after what we've learned today, you might now answer that question with a resounding no. (laughs) No, because that means everyone here this morning would fit into one category or another. Either we are disciples of Jesus who are following him, learning from him, so we can live like him, and we don't do it perfectly, but that's our aim, right? Nobody does it perfect. We're either seeking to be disciples, we're aiming our life in that direction, we either are disciples or we're not. And if you are not yet a disciple of Jesus, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, then I do want to invite you today to become one. As you've heard this morning, uh, becoming a disciple of Jesus involves more than praying a prayer or raising your hand, which is why we always want people to understand that, that it's important to fully understand that commitment that you're making to become a follower of Jesus before you become a follower of Jesus. And if that's something that you're interested in, We would love to talk to you more about it. And sometimes we just pray that prayer and do that here. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you want to become a disciple, a follower of Jesus, um, we're going to have somebody from our team in the back here by that back wall. Um, And if you want to pray 
with someone and talk about what that means, come on back. Or if that sounds too intimidating or nerve-wracking for you, then you can email us here through our webpage. One of the staff, we'd be happy to connect with you if that's more comfortable and help you, you know, really figure out um, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And you can get a hold of us through the, the website um, and we can set up a time to connect and talk. So if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to become a follower of Jesus. And if you are already a disciple, a follower of Jesus, then I want to invite you to two things. One is to go deeper in your discipleship and following Jesus together. And two, to begin looking for people who are not yet followers of Jesus to invite them to follow Jesus with you as well. And as a disciple, maybe you're looking for ways to get further connected. And again, small groups are our primary way here at Hope. There are also serving teams. That's another way to help you follow Jesus and get connected with some folks. But um, if you're a disciple, I'm going to encourage you to go deeper in your discipleship. And, and again, to join a small group, to get on that journey with other people. Will you stand with me? I'm going to have you read this out loud, and then a moment we'll pray together as we dismiss. But let's read, again, let's read this slide next. Oh, back it up. There we go. Let's read this out loud together. Um, Friends, the mission of hope is to love God, love others, and follow Jesus together. Will you join me in carrying out that mission? And again, we're dismissing in a moment here so you can hang out, have some food, get connected. And if you haven't signed up for a small group yet, you can do that right now. So let's pray our closing prayer together. It's two different slides. Let's pray this out loud together. Father, help me to live this day to the full, being true to you in every way. Jesus, help me to give myself away to others, being kind to everyone I meet. Spirit, help me to love the lost, proclaiming Christ in all I do and say. Amen, amen. People of hope, as you go into this week, may you move deeper into discipleship, into following Jesus. May may your life and mine be guided by his words. May we trust his teaching that really his way is the best way to live. And may we give our hearts and lives away to everyone that we encounter. Go now and be blessed in the name of the Father and the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Have some snacks. We'll see you next week.